What is up, everybody? Welcome to a Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. So great to be with you as we are less than 48 hours away from taking on the Arizona Cardinals at NRG Stadium for the first time since 2017. Yes, Kyler Murray and the Cardinals with Kyler Murray 1-0. So, it's a team to be reckoned with, there's no doubt, with all that Kyler Murray brings to it. He is in serious mode, and he doesn't want to talk about the Vikings. He doesn't want to talk about Josh Dobbs. He just wants to talk about beating the Houston Texans. Hopefully, that won't happen. So, we'll have my keys and my predictions a little later in the show. We'll also have Blake Cashman with us, both doing a pregame interview and a little Drew's Dozen Got a couple of cutlets from Devin Singletary and Jalen Petrie. We got defense coordinator Matt Burke joining us as well. Plus, Drew Doherty went behind enemy sidelines this week with Ed Smith of the Believe Network right there in Arizona. Now, how's this, what's his connection to last week with the Bengals? Well, Irv Smith Jr., a tight end for the Bengals. His father, Irv Smith, is the brother of Ed Smith. You follow that? So Ed Smith's here with us to talk about the Cardinals, not the Bengals. So we'll have Ed Smith a little later in the show. But we kick off each and every show with two interviews. But the first one, as always, with Mark Vandermeer and the head coach of your Houston Texans, D'Amico Ryans. Mark, take it away. All right, coach, facing the Cardinals, when you have the ball, what makes them tough up front? What makes them a challenge? And I know Buda Baker's on that back end as well. What about facing the Arizona defense? Yeah, the challenge with Arizona is they are a very complex scheme. They do a bunch of different things. They really want to get their two safeties involved. The two safeties are their best players, so they'll do a lot of inserting the safeties into the run fits, into the pass game, underneath coverage. So they do everything they can to – make it as difficult as possible, giving you different pictures, changing up the look, dropping eight in coverage. So there will be very multiple in their scheme. But we just have to go through our process and execute. If we execute like we're supposed to, we'll be just fine. Well, it's Murray's second game back as we look at their offense. And whatever they've done earlier might be different with him. And from week one to week two with him, what are you expecting from their attack? Right, expecting them to really rely on what Murray has done in the past. Right, the offense that was ran before, under center, a lot of those things from the Cleveland background really doesn't fit Kyler's style. So I expect them to be more in gun, more of the quick RPO passing game, zone read. Uh, and then they'll, of course, take their shots to Hollywood Brown when they get an opportunity. All right, it's the NFL. I know guys are out for all teams, but you've had a lot of guys out and other guys coming in, a lot of mixing and matching, but have overcome it. How does that help your team confidence-wise in these situations? It really helps us because no one gets flustered. If somebody's out, nobody's in a panic. Everybody understands that it doesn't matter who's out there, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to give give their best, and if we play together as a team, right, that's where we thrive, right? Not relying on one particular person, but everybody doing their job, playing together, that's how we are able to thrive, even though we've lost a lot of people, mixed in a lot of groups here and there. Everybody going in, playing relentless, that's how we can overcome. You've been playing really well at home. Crowd gets louder. What about communication with the defense? How do you get ready for that? Do you practice with more noise? How do you prepare for that? And we cranked up the music this week because we're expecting our fans to be rowdy, so we cranked up the music on defense to make it difficult for our guys in practice, and that's what we want in our stadium on Sunday. We want it to be difficult for the defense, but if it's difficult for us, now it's a challenge for their offense. So we want to have Kyler confused, so he can't do many checks at the line. So hopefully our fans are rowdy and loud because we need them. 
All right, what about the kicking game phase of this thing? Yeah, the kicking game will be huge. We'll see if we can get some opportunities in the punt return game. They have a really dynamic returner, right, in uh, number 83, Dorch. Explosive, really good contact balance, and we have to do a great job of swarming in our coverage lanes, and we'll see if we can get an opportunity in the punt return game as well with our returners. All right, Coach, thanks right. a lot. Good luck. Thanks, Mark. Also joining us to kick off the show, one of D'Amico Ryan's um, – I don't know, pet projects? Is that the right way of saying this? I don't know. One of the players that has thrived in this defense under D'Amico Ryans is Blake Cashman. He sat down to talk about this one against the Cardinals with our own Drew Torrey. Drew, take it away. Linebacker Blake Cashman joins us now. You're taking on the Arizona Cardinals. And before we get into the matchup, you know, we talked back in May at a community event, and you were really excited about the defense you're playing in and the position that the coaches had you focused on and said, hey, take ownership of this spot. You've definitely come out and done that. How do you think about your progress and how do you think it's going in that regard on a personal level? I think my progress has been has been good. I feel like every week that goes by, uh, I get more and more comfortable and I've had the confidence where I can take, you know, or start to take this defense to the next level. As, you know, the season's gone on, coaches have definitely put more responsibility on my plate which you know I like to see because I think as a player that tells you you're doing something something good but really just answering that call that the coaches are putting on me just have owning those new responsibilities new techniques uh, new positions in the defense really helped me thrive in in this defense and collectively where do you think you guys are headed right now they were, were rolling in the right direction obviously you know we still got a lot of ball to play but you know, I think we're starting to play with some sound football on all phases, and that's what it takes to be, you know, a playoff team, you know, a potential championship team. You know, you have to be executing on offense, defense, special teams. And we're starting to do that. Obviously, there's still things we can be better on, but you see the confidence in this locker room and on this team. You, you see the, the energy. You know, we have all the right pieces and what it takes to be in a great spot at the end of the year. And the last two weeks in particular, and this happens every game, but especially so the last two weeks, all three phases, offense, defense, special teams, you're a part of two of those. Mm-hmm. You guys have come up with massive, massive plays, not just one, but many plays on each side of the ball. When you're doing that collectively, I imagine it just kind of amps up the fun you guys are having, especially when you're winning, right? Absolutely. I mean, you see, I think a Cincy game, like on that kickoff, Dare came down and smacked the... Tattooed that guy. I mean, you just see the, the <laughs> excitement from the sideline and defense is taking the field, but great special teams play, but as a defensive player about to take the field, like that gives you extra juice without question. And, you know, the, the opponent's sideline and team is going to feel that energy. Uh, you know, some people don't like to believe... That, like energy momentum impacts a game. You believe in it, though. I definitely do. And great football teams, great teams for right. any sport, really. The good ones, great ones, they have contagious energy. And I remember D'Amico talked about that all the way back in OTAs. You know, no energy vampires because he wants everything just be lifting up uh, each other and feed off one each other because it gives you confidence. You got Kyler Murray and the Cardinals coming into town. They're 2-8, and eight, but this does not look like a 2-8 and eight team with him in the offense now. He's only played a game. They won that game last week. What's the challenge that he presents for the defense as a whole when you're lining up against a guy like that? He's a guy that's elusive, dynamic player. He can extend plays, and whenever you can extend plays, it's very challenging on the back end because coverages get broken down. So 
We really have to be great at our um, how we assault the pocket, D-line, any linebackers or safeties that are blitzing, like taking the right tracks yeah. to keep him contained. I mean, if we do that and our coverage is tight, you know, we'll be successful no matter down and down in distance. But a lot of respect for him as a player and what he's able to do. And they got a lot of weapons on that team, so we have to play sound football. Yeah, one. Interesting weapon that you, you're probably going to tangle with a time or two is Trey McBride, the tight end, coming off a big, yeah. big game. How impressive is he? He's a young guy, second year in the league. Yeah, I, so I didn't really realize he was just a second-year player. And he that's, was, a, that's a compliment. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. And so as I started to watch the tape on Arizona this week, I was like, wow, this guy is getting targeted a lot and tells you the team and Kyler Murray or the, whoever is at quarterback has a lot of confidence at that spot or towards him. But he's an athletic, big-body guy, and he moves well. He's a playmaker, so you know if you're matched up on him, like you just got to know that the ball. There's a good chance the ball is coming your way, and you know own your technique because you know, at the end of the day, your technique's gonna uh, win you the down. You've been a big, big part of a very successful run defense, top ten run defense so far this season. What's the test that James Conner? He's better, averaging better than five yards a carry. What's the test he's going to bring to you guys? He's having a great year. Uh, we have a lot of respect for him. Talked about how, you know, he's a big uh, running back that seeks contact. So you got to lower your shoulder pads and, and bring some power behind you. But um, they do a lot of different things in the run game, especially with Kyler Murray now back with zone read, just kind of a double threat there. You don't know if it's falls me hand to the running back or the quarterback's keeping it, but it's it's really going to just take the front seven guys disrupting and pushing the line of scrimmage back, which is going to have to make a back like James Conner check his feet a little bit. You can't let a guy like that with his size start building speed momentum downhill through a big open gap. Like, I don't care how great of a tackle you are. Like, it's not a fun position to be in having to take a run over. So, you know, we really got to just do a good job at disrupting any of their pullers and the power counters and pushing the line of scrimmage back. Last thing, you guys are a confident defense. How does having C.J. Stroud as a quarterback on the other side as the, for the offense affect that confidence that you guys have as a I love defense. it. I love it. I mean, you know, having a quarterback playing as well as he's playing, he's, he's such a special player in person. Because we know and believe and have all the confidence where that the offense is going to get it done, you know, I think as a defense, it just opens up your playbook more. And I think it allows you to potentially be more aggressive if you want to bring more pressures, get after teams, which... You know, going into a week like this with a smaller quarterback, you want to get, you know, guys in, in his face. So, you know, you, you can't see those windows uh, in the passing game. So, you know, whenever you're, you're having offense that's balling, quarterback that's got magic uh, <laughs> back there, it allows you to, I think, play more free as a defensive player and allows you to do more things. All right, well, let's hope the freedom and the magic continues this weekend <laughs> and the rest of the year. It's been fun talking with you. Always enjoy talking with you, Blake Cashman. Best of luck. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, great stuff there from Blake Cashman and D'Amico Ryans. Big thanks to Mark and Drew for stopping by. Drew will be back a little bit later with a Drew's dozen and a couple of cutlets he's got. Um, but as it pertains to the game on Sunday, let's dive into the injury report here because it's, um, again, a factor with five players out for the Texans. Even with one of those out, there is a little bit of good news. But out for the Texans. Graylin Arnold, out. Jake Hansen, out. Henry Toa Toa, out. Jimmy Ward, out. Safety, linebacker, linebacker, safety. Against Kyler Murray is no bueno. Oy. 
Now, it doesn't get much better with the defense because two other players are questionable. One did not participate on Friday. Uh, close your ears, kind of. Will Anderson Jr. dealing with that knee is questionable after a DMP on Friday. Dylan Horton was a full participant, also dealing with knee. He's questionable as well. Yikes. Now, on the offensive side, it's a little better, I guess. Noah Brown with that knee is questionable. He has not practiced all week. We saw Steven Nelson, a veteran, last week. Not practice all week, but then make it back. Now, Nico Collins is in. So, Noah out, Nico in. So, you've at least got your three of your top four pass catchers for the last how many ever uh, – I'm sorry, four. You added Dalton Schultz. So, you've had four of the top five pass catchers on the roster each of the last how many ever weeks. It just hasn't been the same guys. Um, and now you're not going to have Noah Brown. Well, sorry. He's questionable, so you may not have Noah Brown. The good news, if there is any, is that Damian Pierce was back at practice today in a limited capacity. He's out, but at least he's back at practice, so that's a a move in in the positive direction, if you will. So, again, out. Graylin Arnold, Jake Hansen, Harry Toa Toa, Jimmy Ward, Damian Pierce, all out. Questionable. Will Anderson Jr., Dylan Horton, and Noah Brown. Now, on the Cardinals side, You've got four guys out. Joey Blunt, safety. Imario DiMercato from TCU, the rookie running back. He's out. Jonathan Ledbetter, defensive lineman, out. Starter, Zach Paschal, hamstring, out. I don't know if any of those kind of move the needle, I guess. Um, these might. Limited participants. Tristan Cologne, calf. DJ Humphreys, ankle. Kevin Strong, knee. Ezekiel Turner, hamstring. Michael Wilson, the rookie, Dealing with a shoulder. Um, now, he just showed up on the injury report with that shoulder. So, that's always something to keep an eye on. Those five are questionable. You're talking about a starting inside. Interior lineman and Cologne. DJ Humphreys is their starting left tackle. Um, opposite Paris Johnson Jr. And Michael Wilson has been turning heads as a rookie. Those five are questionable. Jesse Lucado, ankle, full participant, uh, no status he's in. So, You've got five out for the Texans, four out for the Cardinals. It's a little bit uh, probably slanted toward the Texans, but eh, it it is what it is. So there is going to be uh, that transaction email on Saturday that we get that will tell us there's going to be some movement. I don't know about going to IR, but Texans, if Graylin Arnold is hurt, Texans don't have enough safeties. I mean, they basically have got, uh, Jalen Petrie and DHC. So there's got to be something done at the safety position. What that is, uh, I don't know. Uh, but we're going to find out uh, here very soon because Graylin Arnold is out with that calf. So, uh, boy, it, keep an eye out for that transaction. Email, actually, it'll come to you probably in, some, in the form of social media of some sort. But, uh, yeah, another weekend. And I actually said this the other day to Mark. I said, the, the crazy thing about what I just read to you is we're probably as healthy as we've been in a long time, which is crazy to think about. Um, because you've got, still got five guys out. So uh, it should make Sunday very, very exciting. No question about that. Making Sunday exciting will be defense coordinator Matt Burke. Hopefully, if the defense does what he and Demeco Ryan say, maybe it won't be as exciting. But hopefully, Matt Burke will be exciting when he comes up next and he talks some trash about one of the biggest games of the weekend in college football. That's next on Texans All Access. What's up? What's up? Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome back to Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, 
and proud Brown University class of 1994 alum. Why does that matter? Well, let's get to it here. Mark Vandermeer and I had a chance to catch up with defensive coordinator Matt Burke, alum of Dartmouth. And that's important because those two Ivy League teams face off this weekend at Brown Stadium in Providence, Rhode Island. Go Bruno, get the win over Dartmouth. A little trash talk here between Coach and myself. But we have plenty to talk about before we got to that moment. Right here, Matt Burke with Mark and I. Let's go. Joining us now in the Hyundai Texans radio studio, it's defensive coordinator Matt Burke. Coach, how's it going today? It's going great. How are you guys? Uh, we're doing great. Looking forward to the matchup with Arizona. So let's talk about the elephant in the room. He's not exactly the size of an elephant, Kyler Murray. When you think of the Cardinals, you think of him, Coach. So what kinds of challenges does he bring to you? Yeah, obviously a uh, dynamic athlete at that position. Uh, you know, obviously got to go against him last year for, for a whole year and see see how he operated. So just the uh, sort of secondary plays, plays off schedule, uh, moving around, scrambling for first down, scrambling to throw, uh, it's a big challenge, big challenge for us. There's some of that you can prepare for, Coach, and then there's some of it that you probably can't. So how do you kind of go about that um, in even replicating it in practice, what he's able to do off schedule, how do you kind of even go about that aspect? Yeah, because, I mean, literally you're talking about unscripted plays, right, right. and stuff, so you can't – you never know how he's going to escape and spin one way versus another. So you just sort of try to, uh, you know, institute your rules of, hey, when he gets out of the pocket or when he starts buying time and moving around, how are we handling that? Who's yeah. who's responsible for him? Who's responsible for the coverage element and and how you balance that that stuff? So – Again, there's going to be the specific way it happens on Sunday. It's you know you you can't really like plan yeah. for that. So it's more of just what are our rules when this starts happening and and how do we how do we try to keep it from happening? You know, obviously first and foremost. Yep. Uh, when you were there, what was he like in practice? How much improvisation would he do within the framework of the offense or getting out of it to try to make plays against the look team? Or yeah, whatever? a little bit. I think it was a little bit more. Um, you know, in practice, you try to sort of practice the perfect play. It's essentially mm -hmm. in like, hey, okay, this is where we want the ball to go, where we want the throw to go. It was so natural for him to be moving and get out of the pocket that he didn't have to practice that a lot. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you see just when in the moment, he's just pretty dynamic. And so we didn't necessarily practice that a lot. I mean, there's always like, a, hey, let's build one into practice so the receivers get used to a scramble drill and where they're going mm. off their route concepts, those sort of things. But um, I think he's just pretty natural uh, at feeling those moments and where to get out and how to get out and how to make those plays. Coach, what are you seeing from Jonathan Grenard? I mean, he picked up on our sack the other day, and so, you know, numbers-wise, okay, whatever. But just the play you've seen from Jonathan Grenard in particular. You know, he's been here. He's been through a lot of different defense coordinators, a lot of different defensive line coaches along the way. And yet he feels like he's gotten better each and every week. But what have you seen from him uh, thus far this year? Yeah, I would say that. I know uh, uh, I do feel he's gotten kind of getting better every week and he's growing uh, in the style we're asking him to play. Um, I think I've said this before. I mean, I, you know, he's got really long arms for not like a super, super tall guy. Yeah, yeah. He's got really long arms. And uh, I feel like he's really utilizing that length uh, to his advantage. Uh, so, I mean, that's been sort of something we've preached with him of like, man, those are – their weapons for you, like use yeah. them. Um, so he's really developed his sort of rush package with being able to use his length and separate off blocks. So the finishing, I mean, you know, you kind of poo-poo the stats, the numbers, but like I think that's a uh, you know an offshoot of what what he's doing. He's yeah. able to get separation so you can finish more at the point of attack. Um, you know, another thing with JG is he's been you know healthy-ish. I mean, I know that's yeah. been an issue in his past, and um, he's really 
shown to me that he's a he's a physical player and he's willing to grind through it and yep. and and he's got some ruggedness to him. So I mean, yeah. he stayed healthy. He's trying to have a rush plan. He's using his length and some of his skill set to his advantage, and I think that's kind of all showing up in his numbers. How about the play you're getting up the middle along the line? Because Sheldon comes up with three sacks. Malik is Malik. Mm -hmm. When Hassan was in there, you had some good production from him. What about those guys, and how important is that to disrupting an offense? Yeah, huge. I mean, we always say, like, the the, the most direct path to the quarterback is from the inside, right? And obviously, uh, you know, a lot of teams are structured to sort of build that pocket for a quarterback, um, and everyone sees the edge rushers. But uh, the more you can get interior push, whether it's being production, like Malik had a couple sack game a few weeks ago, and, and obviously Rank had a huge game last week. Um, but not only that, like talking about someone like Kyler, where you can close off some of those step-up lanes, and now your ends come more into play. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you have your ends rushing and there's no push in the middle, there's some separation there, then – it's not all working together. So uh, having those two guys and, and all the guys we've plugged in there uh, be able to kind of create pressure, create sacks, create push in the inside part of the pocket, that's a, the easiest way to start disrupting a QB. Coach, one of the guys we didn't mention for the Cardinals, Marquise Brown, Hollywood, got some speed. So I want to flip it over to the corners. Last mm -hmm. week you had kind of the three-corner rotation with Sting and with uh, Steven Nelson and with Shaq Griffin. How did that kind of work for you against the Bengals? Because I know going in, you probably didn't have Steven, I think, for probably any of practice yeah, last week. Nope. Sting's coming back off the injury, and you know Shaq has played. So how did that kind of three-corner rotation help you, and how do you think that will help you against a guy like him to, in particular? Yeah, I think, again, we're always trying to deploy those guys in the best way possible, and with – you know, Nelly missing a lot of practice last week, Sting coming back. Like, we didn't want to put a full burden on on either of those guys. And and obviously then having Shaq, who's played a lot of football for us and done a good job. So um, really trying to just keep those guys fresh. And, and, and again, especially with two guys, a little bit uncertainty of how much they could take or what where their capacity was. Um, but, you know, I think same thing. I mean, this week, anytime you can kind of keep guys throwing their fastballs and keep guys – fresh and yep. loose and playing fast like that's going to be a be an, you know an advantage for us so I, I would just as a just uh non-ask like i would just give a lot of credit to the all the position coaches last yep. week man mm -hmm. like even the, you know the linebackers we were rolling guys through yeah. d-line like we had nine guys up trying to get all those guys work i mean obviously the, the corner rotation yep. getting dhc ready to play i think the the coaches did a really good job last week yeah. of kind of having that rotation down, planning those guys out, and really doing a good job yeah. in the game. Well, along those lines, with the players, and we see this both sides of the ball, but with the defense, there's a togetherness here. There's something about this because every time somebody goes out, another guy comes in, it just happens position groups all over the team, it seems. So what about that part of it, Coach? What makes this team so together? Uh, you know, I see everything starts with Meek, and I think just what he's preached as a as a team and team first and, and all that sort of messaging. Um, and again, not – not the coaches. I mean, I think, you know, we just don't bat an eye. Like, you don't have time. It's the NFL. You don't have time to, to bemoan, <laughs> oh, this guy got hurt, or yeah. I don't, I wish I had this. Like, that's not how it works, man. No one yeah. cares. Yeah. Um, so I think, like, you know, our approach is like, okay, what what do we have to do this next one? All right. Who's available? How do we use them? Like, we have three corners. Like, yep. how do we deploy those guys best? Hey, what's our linebacker matchups that we like this week? All those things. Like, and I think the players start to feed off that again, starting with how, you know, D'Amico structures things, but just, um, like that's just the approach. I know it's cliche, the sort of next man up thing, but um, that's kind of how we operate. And I feel like the players just buy in. Like, man, we don't blink. That guy's prepared and ready to play in, in whatever role he's asked to play. Coach, you mentioned him, so I want to I want to discuss him a little bit. And that's DeAndre Houston Carson. He was here for a few weeks. He's not here for a few weeks. 
Then he's got to step into a game against Tampa Bay where, I mean, both safeties go down in front of him like, holy cow, he's been back for maybe all of, what, four days? But then he's ready for the Bengals, and he makes that touchdown-saving tackle at the end. He has to pick. He has seven tackles. What are you seeing in his play, the fact that Jimmy, MJ, and Eric aren't able to go, but he's able to step in there and make, make plays for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think even his sort of first stint here with us, uh, just a true professional. Yeah. And I think the reason that he had success uh, on Sunday – was he was just always in the right position. Yeah. Like, and he's really sharp, like practices with intent, like studies learn. So on Sunday, he was never out of position. And that, and so then you make the plays that come to you. So yep. he's in position when the ball gets a little bit overthrown to intercept that. Uh, he sees the, the the long one break out. He puts his head down and runs. And that's yep. how he practices. He finishes at the ball every practice. So he says, I'm going to go finish the ball. Gets that guy down at the seven-yard line to, to help us. You know, the tackles, he's in the fit. You know, so uh, I think just – just his approach as a professional veteran guy, like he's just such a steady dude. He always was in the right place at the right time. All right, I have a very important question now yeah, because this is not. Dartmouth and Brown are playing this weekend. Oh, let's go. And we've got alums of each school, Johnny from Brown and Coach from Dartmouth. So what's going to happen here on Saturday? Dartmouth well, will lose. No, <laughs> I know this. If we need it, we need some help. We need. Mm. We need. I, I never thought I'd say this. We need Yale to beat to beat Harvard. But wow, if Dartmouth wins and Yale wins, then we 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 steal a piece of the title here. So we're going. We're going big green in a in a in a runaway. Okay, <laughs> in a runaway. Uh, our buddy James Perry will get this done for Brown. <laughs> okay. We'll finish with a, uh, a a solid regular season, a winning regular season for the first time in a while. Um, but we do have to beat the uh, Mean Green, so this is an odd year. So Brown. I think odd years that means we're up in Brown. Hanover. I, I mean, think Brown's, Brown's hoping to just have a winning season. We're talking yeah. about titles up talking in about Hanover, Ivy so League title here, Johnny. Baby steps, yeah, coach. Yeah, baby steps. So We've been down in the muck a little gonna, bit, so we got we got to get out <laughs> of it. So a big go. win. Listen, we beat Princeton already this year. We beat Penn already this year. I think they're, they're named the Quakers, aren't they? Pacifists. I don't know how yeah, this works. I don't know. But okay, I got to ask you this. Wait, before we go, fellow Ivy Leaguer, who do you hate more, Yale or Harvard? Because every yeah, every a, Ivy Leaguer I think go to those two schools. I honestly, I'll sports say when, hate. It's sports hate. Yeah, sports it's, hate. It's okay. I would say when I was there, uh, it's Princeton was kind of our rival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we when I played, they were always our last game, yep. so we always finished with them. And at right. the time, they were we were good, and they were good. Like when I was there. Uh, Penn, Princeton, and Dartmouth were kind of mm -hmm. the three yep. mm. that were kind of having success. Then, you know, when Murph got to Harvard, he kind of turned that around there in tough twos. So, like, for me, like, Princeton was always kind of – we always finished with them, and it was always a big game, like title implications, yeah. kind of those type of things. So that was kind of – I coached at Harvard, so I got I got a little soft spot for Harvard. Oh, so if I had a pick. God, now I know this. Uh -huh. Oh, man. Here we go. This just changes everything. <laughs> man, they were the worst. They were the worst. They would run through our warm-up drills, and I was like, okay, senior year, if they do that again, we're going we're gonna to go. We're going to dance. And then they were already down on their side of the yeah. field. So either way, everybody's got that Ivy League team. If they're in the Ivy League, they hate. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Who I, never, I get Princeton, he, though. I understand I'll that. tell you who I never gave any consideration to was Brown. We never, yeah. we never worried not. about him enough to. Of course not. Years uh, of struggle. Coach, we'll thanks talk. a lot. Good luck this uh, week. I appreciate it, guys. Coach, having some fun at my expense, but that's okay. Both teams five and four. Brown cannot win the league. We're tied for the league. Dartmouth can. But if Brown ends up with a win, it'll be six and four. First time winning record in a while. In a while. So James Perry's done some good things there at Brown. So proud of him from a long ways away. And would love to have bragging rights on Sunday. Uh, for when I see Coach Burke after the Texans get this win against the Cardinals. Speaking of the Cardinals, Ed Smith from the Believe Network knows about the Cardinals. He will join us next right here on Texans All Access.
Stop right back into the show, a TGIF edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio with Ed Smith of the Believe Network. He covers the Cardinals, knows them extremely well. He is the brother of Irv Smith, who is the father of Irv Smith Jr., who the Texans played last week with the Bengals. Here's Ed Smith along with Drew Doherty, who goes behind enemy sidelines. This is a real treat. We've got Ed Smith going behind enemy sidelines for us. We're going to talk all about the Arizona Cardinals. Ed, of course, you played in the NFL, the XFL as well, offensive lineman. You did some big things. And what do you think about this Arizona Cardinals team and the calculus, how it's changed with Kyler Murray's return? It's not to win team, really, when you look at it that way, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's come to the strange time. Obviously, it's been kind of an up and down season, you know, one and eight before Kyler steps in last week. And it, it's a weird deal, Drew, where we we want to see improvement, but at the same time, we don't want to see improvement, <laughs> you know, for next year. And, you know, all of a sudden, all the, you know, the calculus is happening with this draft spot that's going to be fluctuating. And then the ironic thing about this game, obviously, is, you know, we have we one of your picks for next year. Uh, for next season and we went into the season things that thinking that was going to be a very high pick yeah and obviously with the success of the texans that pick is gone from uh you know in the lottery portion to right now currently at the 20 spot that's so right th- there's so many different things going on with this game and you know we got kyler coming off the injury uh you know we want to protect him but we also want to see what he can do and and you know the the i guess he's kind of auditioning for the you know GM and and Gannon to see what they're going to do moving forward next year, and there's been all the speculation about what they might do if the pick is high enough. So just so many different things going on. Great to see him back in the lineup, and he did. It didn't look like there was a whole lot of rust on him. So it'll be interesting to see how this second game on the road against a team that is up and coming. You know, you being the Texans, so we're excited about the direction, but we're also confused at the same time. Yeah, you bring up an excellent point. And I want to dig into Kyler Murray as a quarterback in just a moment. But let me throw this little knuckleball in there as well to all the stuff you brought up. So Texans and and Cardinals make that trade on draft night. Houston moves up to take Will Anderson. They're very excited about what they got with him. And then the news breaks. We're doing this on a Wednesday morning. The news breaks a few hours ago that Deshaun Watson's not going to play the rest of the year for the Cleveland Browns. So Houston you know, right after the trade was made internally, they were thinking and saying, well, we think we're going to be better than the Browns. And that wasn't the case and is not the case yet record-wise, but it looks like that could change now. So that kind of adds another little wrinkle to everything going on. And it's weird how the NFL seems to make these storylines marry together. It's like a script, you know, they make that joke last year about (laughs) the script being uh, written, but anyhow, what do you think about Kyler Murray? Who is Kyler Murray? Can you tell truly after one game, is he the same guy before? Is he a little different? Is this offense better suited with him or for him? I mean, what do you think one game in? Is it too too much to, to say or way too early? And yeah. you know, and, and as I mentioned, you know, it is a little bit of an audition for him. You know, he so far the organization, meaning you know, general manager, Gannon, Petsing, all of our uh, personnel. They've been saying all the right things, you know. Court uh, Curry's done, Kyler's done everything we've expected out of, of him, and you know he's our guy moving forward. And you say to yourself, well, what are they supposed to say? 
you know, <laughs> yeah. well, you know, we're not really sure and we're going to see how he plays. And depending on that, you know, we might go out and get a quarterback next year. They can't say that. So, right. you know, and realistically, and I'm, I've been kind of putting it out there, Drew, I think because our roster is so bad, because we really don't have much to play for currently at two and eight, this isn't a playoff team, you know, any, by any stretch of the, of the imagination, you also worry about further injury. You know, we all know coming, you know, for former athletes, we know coming off an injury of that magnitude, you're never really good until, you know, like meaning a hundred percent in your mind and body till the following year. So, you know, there's a little precaution that might be taken, you know, because you don't want to re-injure at the same time. There's the salary hanging over your head, uh, meaning, you know, our front office. And we all know every organization would love to have that quarterback on the rookie deal. Yeah, You know, that way you can maneuver a little more. Uh, the prior regime, they gave Murray the bag early. So he does have that salary that goes along with everything. And then, you know, some might not be sold on his stature, meaning, you know, he is a shorter quarterback. Moving forward, does he work perfectly in Pepsing and Gannon's, you know, you know, ideal moving, you know, forward. So we don't know any of these things. He did look very good the other day, but he was scrambling. You know, you yeah. don't have a good offensive line in front of him. We, you know, uh, Connor, thank goodness, got back in there, but we don't have any what, what I would call major weapons on the outside. So he's going to be running for his life a little bit. And my theory is they're going to put him out there maybe three games, maybe four, to show everybody what he can do. And if he looks really good, then, you know, we now put him back on the shelf and they're excuse will probably be well you know we don't really have much to play for we just wanted to see he looks great and we don't want to risk anything moving forward so he's our guy and Man, that's a happens- risk that's a risky proposition though as far as what it says the fan base and all, everybody yeah. you know like, like you could see that going down huh yeah i mean me personally yeah. i don't know if you want to risk him out there for you know seven eight games moving forward Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like obviously with nothing to play for. And then, like I said, if he re- looks really good, now you have the, I guess, the bird back in your hand. You know, he's the chip. And if you want to move off of him, he looks that much more traffic attractive to other teams. But also, if he does look spectacular and you now think he's the guy now, you know, hopefully you can put him on yourself. And we don't want to use the T word, but maybe you get, you can use the excuse that you want to get uh Clayton tune some look just yeah. to, and you lose a few and you retain that higher draft pick so you can then start building around Murray if that's the the mo- you know there's so many that we we don't know and it's all speculation and I think over the next few weeks we'll see what the what the card looks like how they're going to play it but anybody who tells you they know we don't know and but bro, I'd say the good encouraging point the encouraging point is Murray did look pretty good the other day he sure did. Yeah. Talk with talk with former NFL tight end Ed Smith and Ed. You just mentioned Connor, and has he gotten the ball enough? Because I know he was out for a month, but goodness gracious, he's averaging five point two a carry. Can they feed him more? Should they feed him more? What have you thought of what you've seen from him? They should. I mean, he, you know, running game is the the kind of the uh, the security blank for any quarterback mm-hmm. along with a good tight end and weapons on the outside, which, you know, you stack them in terms of order, you know, Connors had, you know, with being dinged up, it just kind of coincided with, you know, the, the return of Murray, you, you know, you saw 
with a backup quarterback in Joshua Dobbs, who, in my opinion, did a fantastic job while I was here, but he's mm-hmm. limited in his talent. So, you know, it was just, it's just been a mix of it, it's, nothing has really looked like it should because it isn't supposed to. You know, backup quarterback, they stripped the roster down. You got Connor here, but you don't have a great offense line in front of him. So, you know, Connor, they should be getting everything they can out of him. And I think moving forward, they will, because I don't think they want to put Murray, you know, out there throwing the ball 40, 45 times, anything like that. So how do you combat that? You run the ball. You know, you maybe try some things with Murray that we didn't see in the previous regime. Murray does not like being under center. I think putting him under center will be a big test. And it also, I think, utilizes Connor the best. He's not a, in my opinion, I don't think he's great when you're doing that read option stuff. I think get him seven yards deep, quarterback under center, downhill. So these are all the things they might want to see. And now's the time to experiment with it because this season at two and eight, you know, it is what it is. You know, you bring up all those variables there. How tricky do you think that makes things for the Texans defense in that regard? Because D'Amico Ryans has been the defensive coordinator in San Francisco. He's familiar with Mm -hmm. Kyler Murray. Now it's a different offense, not the Cliff Kingsbury air raid, but he's seen who Kyler Murray can be and is. Yeah, and Kyler is very dynamic under any any situation. We know that. This Here in Texas, (laughs) I mean, you've got to come up with a really strong argument to say that anybody in the history, I'm talking like the last 150 years, history of the high school game has been better than Kyler Murray. Now, listen, we're talking about the NFL, but we know who Kyler Murray is, even though he's a kind of a Dallas area guy and we're down here in Houston. So, yeah, got to respect it. Yeah, no. And, you know, you see the talent, you see what he can, he does things like you mentioned, Drew, that will make you scratch your head. Like, how the heck did he just do that? Yeah. You know, there are other parts of his game that he needs to improve on, but never has anybody second guessed when he's, when he has the ball in his hand and he throws such a pretty ball as well. Mm -hmm. You know, the difficulty with Murray is because of his size at this level, you know, sometimes you got to create windows for him and he can do that with his legs, but it does create a different offense versus someone who you can put under center, just drop straight back with Reed. You know, you got to be a little more creative with him, but because of the talent, you just can't deny it. And then you add, you know, the fact that, you know, Connor's back, you know, that'll be an issue for D'Amico and the the defense. And then we've seen an emergence, a little bit of our our, our tight end, Trey McBride. Yeah. These are future weapons that, you know, they can get a look at and will be a problem moving forward for anybody who plays the Cardinals as long as Murray's is, is, you know, playing quarterback. But, you know, we got to, we're, we're optimistic here because it has looked so bad in the, the circumstances we were just holding our breath and cross, you know, like crossing our fingers because we just weren't sure how he was going to look coming back. But like I said, very, very good first look at him. And he'll, as long as he's in this lineup, he'll be an issue for anybody who's preparing for the Cardinals, especially those teams that are looking to try to, you know, get into the playoffs moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. You just said McBride, and I'm glad you brought him up because when I saw that we were going to get to talk with you, I got excited. You know the tight end position. You played it in yes. the NFL. Your brother, Irv Smith, excellent tight end. Your nephew now, Irv Smith Jr., excellent. I mean, it's in the family. And yeah. I, I jokingly referred to you as an offensive lineman earlier in this podcast because <laughs> a former Cardinals tight end named Darren Fells, who played here with the Texans, he used to joke and call himself a right, right tackle. Uh, now, he wound up <laughs> catching about nine touchdown passes one of the seasons he was with us. But you've seen a lot of good tight ends in your day. 
McBride, you said emerging. Who's he remind you of? How good can he be? How good is he right now? He had the highest PFF rating for any player, not offense, not to any player last weekend after after what he did. Yeah, you know, I, I, I say emerging because he was obviously been in the shadow of Ertz. Sure. Uh, Zach Ertz, you know, and Ertz, he goes down and, you know, and as I mentioned, this isn't a season where we're, you know, like planning on stacking a bunch of wins, but it's a great opportunity for yeah. some of these players to kind of take that, take advantage of the time they're getting. And McBride is one of those guys. He's kind of showing, you know, that, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to be the focal point of the offense, but as a weapon out there, you put other things around him. You know, we, we lack on the outside in, in our, our wide receiver room. Obviously, we got rid of Hopkins last year. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the history has been we've always had at least one great wide receiver here. We just don't have that right now. That right. might be part of the plan moving forward, though. But in the meantime, McBride has showed, uh, you know, he's, he's a good blocker, decent blocker. That's one of the toughest parts of being a tight end is learning, the you know, the blocking responsibilities and everything that comes with, you know, being a, that Swiss Army knife at this level. But he's figuring that part out. And then in the meantime, you know, he had uh, eight catches for 131 yards last week. That is huge for him. Mm -hmm. And that'll be huge for our quarterback, you know, in this system. And I'm sure Petsing and the group, they were just, they couldn't be happier at getting him an opportunity to see the field and then what he can mean for this team moving forward. We all know that, like I said, where we're at right now is hopefully not where we're going to be in two, three, four years. And seeing this early part of what he can do, it has to be exciting for that uh, for that offense. No doubt. I mean, that that was a monster performance by him last weekend. So it's somebody that he's clearly going to be a building block, no matter who the quarterback is, no matter yeah. what else is around him. He's somebody you can rely on and and probably do some really good things for with him. All right, let's switch over to the defensive side of the ball. How leaky a unit is this? Because the Texans offensively, they're starting to roll. You know, they got a run game going last weekend, which they've not had at all this year. They had 150 yards from Devin Singletary. First time since November of last year, they had a back get 100 yards. And he's somebody who can catch the ball out of the backfield too. What it really did, CJ Stroud talked about it. It opened things up play action wise. Mm -hmm. So they get a guy who carries 30 times, cracks 150 but they still had nine or excuse me, eight passes of 20 yards or longer. What do you see defensively from the Cardinals that might be a good matchup against the Texans and might, you know, kind of be a, a dark cloud uh, on the other side of the ball. I'll just well, say everything, everything you mentioned drew is like, wow, now we have to deal with that too. <laughs> yeah. And the problem for the Cardinals defensively and as a team as a whole is that because they stripped the roster down and didn't sign any, of our, you know, free agents went out and got a lot of, you know, not suspect, but second tier talent, put them yeah. on short term deals. We don't have a superstar uh, edge rusher. We don't have, you know, any big bodies up front to really stop the run. And then you don't have much in your secondary as far as your cornerbacks, you know, we're young and experienced there. The only shining light, in my opinion, on the defensive side of the ball is Buda Baker, but he's right. at the tail end of your, you know, defense so what does that mean it means we have trouble stopping the run uh we have trouble putting pressure on a quarterback and we also have trouble uh covering in the secondary so with all those things it spells bad formula you know if you sit back and and take your uh, thousand lashes you know because you know we allow the running game to eat us up or if you take risk and throw 
extra, you know, at the the quarterback trying to put pressure, that opens up holes in the secondary. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing I will say is, is Cora says our defense can be at times. And what happens here, Drew, a lot of times it seems like we have a great defensive plan to start out, but by the second part of the game, things are figured out a little bit. We don't have those horses that can stand up and, you know, and they tend to get almost like, see, looks like they get tired in the second half and get exposed. But with all that being said, they this is a team as a whole, including the defensive side of the ball, that does not give up. They still continue to fight. So yeah. they can give you problems if you allow us to stay in the games. We also, we obviously saw with Murray now that as an extra portion, you know, part of what you'll have to defend on the other side of the ball. But, you know, I said, this is all a work in progress defensively. You know, there's not much that should scare anybody as far as, well, we got to make sure he doesn't wreck our, uh, this part of our game plan. But, you know, for, for the most part, this defense will at least fight you and they'll give you everything they've got. This is on, we don't have a whole lot, you know, before you can say, well, you got to make sure you stop JJ or you got to stop Chandler Jones or now there's not really that guy we have to make, you know, contain. It's just, you know, as a unit, they'll get out there and they'll fight, but it's it's how much they can give you when we're lacking that much in talent. That's the issue. Nine games, 10 games in, what's your read on your head coach? He was somebody that's, he's been in the news cycle each of the last two off seasons and then gets the job out there. What do you think? What are you seeing from him? What do you see for the future? I like Gannon. I like the fact that he came in here and it wasn't the same old, you know, same old. I mean, you know, he tried a couple of times with the speeches and stuff like that. And sometimes you look and it's like, that's not his strength. You know, <laughs> the, the, the rah-rah and, you know, it's not his thing. But what he does, you know, he set a standard in terms of we're going to make some changes around here, how we do our business, the type of players we want in here. And that's what I've been impressed with. And the fact that, as I mentioned just a minute ago, they will fight you to the last whistle. Now, mm-hmm. we're swinging with wiffle ball bats right now. We don't have those aluminum bats to get at <laughs> you, but you will see this team will continue to fight. And that's a good sign because I said yeah. at the beginning of the year, it's not going to be about the wins and losses totals, especially because we didn't know when Kyler was coming back and what our quarterback situation was. What I was looking for is how these guys either win or lose, what they look like rather than the final score, meaning are they out there and they're fighting to the last whistle? Or do you see guys out there giving up or freelancing? It looks like every player, you know, and he started off with, you know, in training camp, there was new rules, you know, no eating in meetings. You got to be there on time, you know, holding everybody to a standard, which I'm, you know, I'm sure you're seeing a difference over there with, you know, your head coach. And that means mm-hmm. a lot, you know, mm-hmm. and then the wins and everything will come later. It's how everybody's handling their business when they're going through these rough beginnings is what I was looking for. And I'm actually impressed with what Gannon has done so far. And I, I think the future looks bright. You give him some talent and, you know, it seems like he's got a good coaching staff in place. They will all figure it out eventually, and they'll get out of this conservative mode they're in a little bit, you know, because, you know, we tend to try to keep everything in front of us and not get too uh, flashy. At some point, you got to open things up, and I think with Kyler coming back, that'll help us, especially offensively. But I do like what I've seen from Gannon to this point. Great stuff there from Ed Smith. And, of course, Drew Doherty. Drew's going to stay with us in the next segment because he's got a couple of cutlets. And he's got a Drew's Dozen with Blake Cashman. That is always fun stuff. We'll have that for you 
On the other side, also got my picks and predictions coming up. Plus, we're from D'Amico Ryan's on the Coaches Show, which was tremendous stuff talking about the Cardinals and everything going on with this football team. That's all the next hour right here on Texans All Access. We got one hour down, one hour left to go right here on a Friday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. It's time to catch up with Drew Doherty. He's got a Drew's Dozen, and then he's got Devin Singletary, and then he's got Jalen Petrie. Let's do one at a time. Let's get to cash. Doing a little Drew's Dozen. This should be interesting. Linebacker Blake Cashman, we recently heard in an interview that Patrick Mahomes has worn the same pair of underwear or shorts before every game. Do you have any weird things like that that you do? <laughs> it's funny you ask me that. <clears throat> I don't, but I have heard a lot of stories from different athletes and different sports. Like? Uh, I've heard the, the Derek Jeter one with the when he was playing, or was it... What's his name? Jason Giambo or something? Jason Giambi, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Giambi. A bunch of guys in the Yankees, I heard they wore, like, gold thong underwear or something. <laughs> you ever heard that one? I, I believe it. I haven't heard it, but, I do yeah. have a weird one this year, though. Okay. First time. It's weird, but so you, our socks have left and right on them. Yeah. And I've been wearing my right sock on my left foot, my left sock on my right foot. What's that do for you? I just, it's something I noticed, like, after, uh, I think, the Jacksonville game, uh-huh. which I thought I played a good game, so, you know, I am, I can be superstitious, so I was like, yeah. I'll, just, I'll just keep it rolling for the rest of the year. <laughs> it's working, man. It's, I, I like it. Keep it up. You know, you bring that up. The locker room is an interesting place, like, with the, the bins of equipment and stuff like that. So, speaking of the locker room, when you guys roll in on game day, you walk in the locker room, what's the very first thing that you do? When I get in the locker room... I, I really just walk through the locker room like mm-hmm. day because I go right to the cafeteria, I eat. Okay. But then when I come back, I get changed and I start getting into my routine, which is usually like soft tissue work, mobility, stretching. And then after that, uh, I get rolling onto the field and start, you know, my warm-up before the warm-up, basically. Yeah. So you go through the warm-up before the warm-up, you do the warm-up, you come back in. Mm-hmm. What's the last thing you do in the locker room before you go out to take the field on, on a game day? Watch a Ray Lewis, like, hype tape. All right. And I've been watching. I guess that's something, too, I could have had. I, something I'm superstitious about. Uh, I've been doing that since my junior year of high school. Yes. The same I thing. know you've told me that one before. That's, that's cool mm-hmm. to hear. Yeah, so you keep doing it. You haven't stopped doing it. Keep it up, man. Okay, what's the most overrated Thanksgiving side dish? Stuffing, I okay. guess. Because it's I mean, too I mushy? Feel, yeah, I mean, I just feel like it, it's sometimes it's too mushy, sometimes it's too dry. I know sometimes people put, like, a lot of cranberries or something in there to make it sweeter. Yeah. I just feel like it's always, it's, it's always very different, and usually I'm left disappointed. <laughs> What's your go-to side dish? The, like, sweet potato or yams, oh, you know, okay. with the right. marshmallow uh-huh. melted on top. Yeah, that's... Kind of sweet, but it's part of the non-dessert. Yeah, yes, that's, okay. it's fantastic. You're number 53. How come? Why are you number 53? First number I had for my rookie year when I was with the Jets and I think it was between 53, 56, and like 46, or no, no, 48, I think. Mm-hmm. I just like 53, best out of them, and kind of wanted to do the same thing I did in college. I, I had, I was given the number 36 in college. I wasn't a fan of it, but it grew on me. Yeah. But I was like, hey, this is my number, and yeah. kind of regardless if I, if I like it or not, I kind of wanted to make a name for that number. Well, that's good, man. Mm-hmm. That's good. Person who makes you laugh the most is, it doesn't have to be a teammate, it could be anybody in the world. I'd probably say one of my high school buddies, really a childhood friend, a guy who I've been friends with since I was like six years old. So I think of him as like really my own brother, family, but you know, we know 
everything there is about each other. <laughs> so, you know, he, he can make me laugh, just very, just kind of a silly, goofy guy, yeah. sarcastic, but he's really big into film and comedy and all that. So I think he just has a, a bank in his memory of a lot of funny jokes. Hit you with that, yeah. <clears throat> Last week we had Noah Brown in here. He had one of his best friends from growing mm -hmm. up say this, basically similar type of story to you. Do you take your shoes off when you're ever on an airplane? Absolutely not. What do you think of people who do that? It disturbs me a little bit, I'm gonna be honest. I really feel like if you're in public, I mean, unless you're like at the beach or something, you should have your feet covered. <laughs> but on an airplane, it's just, it's too close of a space. Yeah. So if you're taking your shoes off and trying to air those dogs out, like nobody's trying to smell some sweaty socks, sweaty yeah. feet. Like that's, that's where like people, like you gotta have awareness when you're around people and in public. You gotta be aware, like, hey, I gotta watch out, take care of me and my business so I'm not disturbing, you know, somebody else. It's just the way I operate. You hear that? Be aware. Blake Cashman, if you're traveling near him, he's going to be looking out for you. What's the first animal you would put on the ark if you had the ark and the flood was coming? Kind of still am a big uh, animal lover. I love all the, like the, you know, Discovery Animal Plant shows. There's a, the life shows on Netflix. Probably got to be like either the lion or a wolf. Lion so was my favorite animal growing up. It's you want a predator on there first? I think so, yeah. All right. That's, those are the animals that always fascinated me growing up. All right. So, I'd, I'd, yeah, probably say a lion. Okay. King of the jungle, right? We've got to wrap things up. We're going to rank the Blakes. Now, we've ranked the Cashes with you in, in, mm -hmm. like when we've done this. And Cash Me Outside Girl, she was number five yeah, out of five. Yeah. So, ranking the Blakes. It's you, Blake Lively, Blake Griffin, the basketball player, Blake Shelton, the singer, and Blake Bortles, the former quarterback. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I think Blake Bortles has a lot of funny... Funny clips, just interviews and whatnot. He always gives me a good laugh. Gotta put myself one, right? Confidence Got is to. good, yeah, so, that's good. Uh, you know, I'll it's put, myself, I'll put myself one. I'll put Blake Shelton second. Then I'll put Blake Lively. She's three? Yeah. And so it's then, between Griffin and Bortles. Yeah, then Bortles and Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin's yes, fifth, yeah. okay. You a country music fan? I like country music, yeah. yeah. I, got yeah some, I, got, some, I got some of his music. Yeah. yeah, and you've been to some rodeo shows here, right? No, I oh, wanted to go last year, got tied up with other trips and yeah. different things and it's on my list for this this year I'm mark going. it down i'm going it's it's, yeah. it's, 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 lo it's locked in book it i'm going <laughs> blake thanks so much for the time you are a drews dozen hall of famer you always bring the good stuff when you come on thank you I appreciate it thank god blake doesn't wear the same pair of underwear week after week after week without watching come on patrick i mean your life is not a state farm commercial bro come on all right speaking of well, I don't know. There's no real good segue out of that. I was trying, and I just couldn't do it. So let's talk to the AFC Offensive Player of the Week. Yes, Blake Cashman won it for week six. How about if we get one with Devin Singletary, who won it in week 10 against the Bengals? So back-to-back, -back, let's get a little cutlet with Drew Doherty and Devin Motor Singletary. How's it feel to get that award, man? Man, it feels good, man. All the hard work that was put in. But I don't feel like it's just a me award. You know, it took us as a collective to get that. So shout out to the big guys up front. You know, the whole offense, you know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah, we heard CJ talking after the game saying him doing what he was able to do, the offense, what he was able to do on the ground like that, really opens up the play action. And I mean, how scary is that for opposing defenses maybe the rest of the season if you guys are able to keep this going? Very scary. When you could be two-dimensional, not one-dimensional, you know, keep the defense on their toes. And uh, what more can you ask for? Who'd you hear from when you got the award? Man, I heard from a lot of people, man. Old friends, coaches, 
you know what I'm saying, guys I used to play with, uh, you know, they was all happy for me. How excited are you about this week, the challenge ahead with the Cardinals and what you guys might be able to keep on doing? Man, very excited, you know. You know, just taking it one week at a time. Excited to see how, you know, this week turns out for us. Last thing, what do you think about that combo of the Battle Red helmets, the Color Rush uniforms that y'all are going to wear on Sunday? That's lit. I like that, man. That's going to be tough. It's always good when you can can put them red helmets on. To go with that all blue, that's tough. Thank you so much for the time. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. Congrats to Motor. Definitely, definitely deserve for what he's been able to do. Not only that week against the Bengals, but, you know, biding his time. I mean, keep in mind, I was actually thinking about this driving up here. Against Atlanta, he didn't have a touch. And now he's, last week, had 30 catches, 30 carries, one uh, reception, 31 total touches. My goodness. Now, a guy who I know had a couple slip through his hands the other day, wanting to make a big play, needing to make big plays this week against Kyler Murray, and that is Jalen Petrie. Let's get a little cutlet with Drew and Jalen. Jalen Petrie, what's the challenge with Kyler Murray at quarterback? How's this offense look? As opposed to what you'd seen on tape, you know, the weeks before he got back. Yeah, I feel like the offense is talented offense. You know, they got some dynamic players, especially with Kyler back. They're doing a lot of more different things. You know, they're um, trying to pass the ball a lot more, but, you know, they're a run-heavy team. But um, a lot of talented players. You know, six is a great player, two is a great player, four is a great player. Like, it's a lot of good players on that offense, and I think they do a lot of things well. So, good challenge for us going coming up on Sunday. You guys just passed the halfway point of the season. Does that seem it's so far off the end of the season, or it's going to be here quickly? When you look at it that way, what, what do you feel or what do you think? Man, me personally, I feel like it's going to be here quickly, and I'm just trying to take advantage of all this time that we have because I know in the offseason I'd be really bored and really wanting to be in season. So, you know, I'm just trying to take advantage of all the reps that I have, you know, looking forward and just trying to have fun out there with my teammates. These last couple of weeks have been really fun, and, you know, it's it's been exciting, you know, getting these wins. How much fun is it going to be back home? Crowd will be loud, all that stuff. Oh, it's going to be real fun back home. You know, hopefully we have a sold-out crowd. Everybody just come out and we just get turned and get the dub. You like that uniform combo, the battle red helmets, the color? I love red helmets. Red helmets always do it for us, and I feel like um, it's always a good little change-up for us, for sure. Last thing for me, the guy that you locker next to is Devin Singletary. Motor just got named AFC Offensive Player of the Week. Or how about happy for him are you? Extremely happy. You know, Motor puts in the work every day. You know, he's another guy that breaks the uh, the veggie meter. And, um, you know, what? he's legit. Yeah, like he's legit. You see, we seen him uh, – Throw the, throw the touchdown in the beginning of the season and glad that he was able to run it in this time. And, you know, he had a great game with 150 yards. So excited for him going forward, and I know he's going to, you know, continue to improve for us. Jalen Petrie, thanks for the time. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. Confirmed 100%. Lip balm in uh, his waistband. I confirmed that after the game against the Bengals, and uh, then I brought mine out from my pocket. Now, I had pockets on the, on the field in my pants, so I have a nice place to put it. But I understand it, man. I keep that lip balm as close as I as I possibly can, especially if it's a little chilly out. So I definitely had to have it for Cincinnati. And you know, Jalen Petrie had it for that game as well. Now, I didn't do my keys earlier because we had Matt Burke on and we had Ed Smith. So I'm going to do my keys to the game next. In addition, my predictions. So we got a lot to do. The next segment is going to be beefed up, baby. Let's go right here on Texans All Access. What's up, what's up, what's up? Welcome back to a Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. It's week 11 in the NFL. I mean, we're over the halfway mark. This game 10 for the Texans. It's the Arizona Cardinals. 
Plus, it's week 11 in the NFL, four teams on a bye. So we got 13 games, sorry, 12 games Sunday. You had one Thursday, you had one Monday. Uh, so here we go. And we got a lot to do in this segment because we're going to do A, my keys to the game against the Cardinals. B, we're going to make my prediction straight up and against the spread for fun. For fun, for fun, for fun. So we're clear for fun. So let's get some music going for this entire segment. It's going to be awesome. So let's start with our keys to the game against the Arizona Cardinals. Now, the Cardinals are 2-8 and eight with wins over the Dallas Cowboys and over the Atlanta Falcons last week. Both wins were in Arizona. They have not won on the road this year. Let's hope that continues. Now, some of the numbers are a little skewed because there were nine games without Kyler Murray. But 127 yards per game on the ground. That's ninth in the NFL last week. James Conner ran for 73 on 16. We'll get to him in a little bit. Passing yards per game, 170, 169, 31st in the league. They're under 300 yards per game. Offense coordinator Drew Petzing is an interesting guy from what you hear uh, around the league. But he's got his hands full uh, against the Texans defense. But he also has Kyler Murray back. And that is the very first key to the game against the Cardinals offense. I call it creatively executed football. Now, I used to call playground football because there was a large part of me, in fact, all of me, that felt like Kyler Murray was playing playground football with Cliff Kingsbury. There was really nothing to that game plan where you felt like, oh, yeah, this is really scripted. He was making everything happen off schedule. Watching him the other day, he felt like he was more coloring between the lines. Now, when he colors outside the lines, it's still pretty exciting for the Cardinals, not always for the defense. But the greatness of Murray is always, always being able to take a donkey and make it a shining star. As in a play dead on arrival, he can turn it into something positive. Case in point, last week, fourth quarter, final drive, third down, drops back to pass, nothing on his left side, spins and retreats probably about 10 yards, and then just outruns everybody for about a 20-yard gain to set up a huge throw to Trey McBride a few plays later, but it's the scramble that really becomes tough. You heard Matt Burke talk about it. You got plaster receivers. You got to be solid in your rush lanes, but Kyler Murray creates all kinds of issues playing creatively executed football, which means he'll take a play now and it's a good play and he'll make it a little bit better. Sometimes he still can make a bad play into a great one, and that is the power of Kyler Murray. Number two, the Connor Hammer is back. That's James Connor. He was out for four weeks. And he ran for 73 yards on 16 carries last week. He is very difficult to tackle. Let me be brutally honest about that. Six foot, 232 pounds, runs downhill with speed and does not like to be tackled. Texans defenders must bring their big boy pads. Now, he doesn't run with the speed of Kyler Murray, but he is fast enough, especially because Murray takes so many eyeballs. Tackling is at a premium, and the Texans are down Denzel Perryman, and they're down Henry Toa Toa. Linebackers have got a a mission, if you will, to stop James Conner, but they have got to bring their big boy pads. And finally, offensively, is the emergence of a new star, a new tight end star. Without Zach Ertz, the Cardinals have a new tight end, second-year tight end, since they new, new tight end, Trey McBride, one of the more intriguing tight end players. He's got a little bit of Kittle in his game. He's got a little bit of Hawkinson in his game. Uh, he'll block. He's tough. He can catch and run. Last week, he had eight catches for 131 yards from Murray in that win, including the long one down the field where he's double covered. Went up and made a catch, got the ball down inside the six-yard line to kick the field goal a few plays later. Cardinals win, Cardinals win. 
And a big part of that was because of Kyler Murray, but a large part of that was because of Trey McBride. And the Texans have not done a great job covering tight ends. That worries me. The Bengals went away from the tight ends for whatever reason. Maybe the coverage is better. I think it was a little bit better. But the coverage has got to be pristine on Trey McBride. That puts a lot on linebackers to have to spy on Kyler Murray, tackle James Conner, cover Trey McBride. They're going to need some help from the safeties. And the safeties are down a few bodies, a lot of bodies. They're down Jimmy Ward. They're down um, MJ Stewart. They're down Eric Murray. They're down Derek Graylin Arnold. There's a fourth one. So they're going to have to find a safety over the weekend, I guess to go play in this game if needed. They've got Jalen Petrie and DHC, and those two played pretty well. But as we've seen with the safeties, they've been banged up this year. Uh, no doubt about that. All right, let's flip over the Cardinals' defense. And there are a lot of names on this defense that you're not going to recognize. It's just not that kind of defense. But they give up a lot of game, a lot of yards to the ground, 134 yards per game on the ground. That's 28th in the NFL. Now, they don't give up a lot of yards to the air, but they give up a 101 passer rating. As a defense through the air, that's not good. Total offense allowed, about 343 per game. That's 22nd in the league. So what do they have? Well, they have Buda Baker. And Buda Baker is a certified badass. He is all over the field. Now, they're not winning a lot of games. And I really worried about that for the Cardinals, that Buda, you know, in the offseason, he kind of asked for a trade. He wanted things kind of refigured, reconfigured his contract. But he's locked in now. He is all about it. And you can just tell he was having some fun last week with that team in a win against the Falcons. He's all over the field. you got to know where he is. He'll blitz. He'll play the run. He'll be on the other side of the field and make a tackle for no gain on the other side of the field. That's just the way that he plays the game. you got to keep your eyes on Buda Baker. you got to know where he is. got to count for him. And then use some of that bootleg and keeper action that you had last week to kind of use that against him. Number two, Dennis Gardeck off the edge. Now, he's only six foot 232. In fact, James Conner is bigger than he is. But Gardeck is a whale of a pass rusher because he's relentless. He's got spin moves. He's got inside rip moves. He's got all kinds of things that he uses off the edge. And that becomes problematic for George Fant and Larry Tunsil. They handle the speed rushers. They handle the power rushers. But Gardeck's kind of a mix of everything. He's kind of a wild man, underdog kind of guy. And that makes it tough. So he's going to keep after it. Texans have got to find a way to block him. I... Maybe some chips on the way out just to kind of slow him down a little bit. But Fant and Tunsil are going to have their hands full with Dennis Gardeck. There's no question. And then finally, I have a key eclectically driven. I would imagine that Jonathan Gannon is going to get kind of freaky, kind of exotic on third and long. Saw a little bit of that at Bengals with Lou Anarumo. He brought a little bit of everything at the Texans. I would imagine the Texans getting third and long, Jonathan Gannon is going to dial up some stuff. With Gardeck, with some of the pass rushers they've got, I got a feeling you're going to see some eclectic, exotic-looking stuff on third down and long. Texans have got to stay away from third and long to have a shot. All right, let's transition out of this into games of the weekend, straight up and against the spread. Gotta love it. Here we go. Last night's game, just as a result, if you missed it, Ravens beat the Bengals, but the carnage is, oh, my goodness. The news out of Cincinnati is no bueno as Joe Burrow and the wrist, an issue out for the year. So in the span of about 72 hours, the Bengals lost Joe Burrow for the year and the Browns lost to Sean Watson for the year. Whoa. That changes everything in that division going forward. And that leads us to the very first game of the day. And that is Steelers at Browns, both teams 6-3. and three. Games in Cleveland. 
The spread has moved. The spread is now one and a half. Like I said, the Browns will not have Deshaun Watson for the rest of the year. They will not go P.J. Walker. They will go with uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, a.k.a. DTR, as Cleveland's favored by a point and a half. Something tells me, after the way this game went earlier in the year in Pittsburgh, the Browns are going to rally and find a way to win this thing. That's just my hunch. So I'm going Browns to win and Browns to cover that one and a half. Just that's my hunch. All right, let's go down to Duval County where the Titans are taking on the Jaguars. Jacksonville's favored by seven after getting absolutely housed last week by the San Francisco 49ers. And there was an interesting little audio piece where Fred Warner was mic'd up and he was like, they don't know what they're doing. And a Jaguars player said, yeah, you're right. We don't know what we're doing. I got a feeling that things are going to be simplified this week for the Jags, and they're going to win this football game against the Titans, but they will not cover. This will be a five, six-point game. Jaguars will win it to get to seven and three. Titans will lose to go to three and seven. And if that happens, if that happens, that means the Titans will have been three and 14 in their last 17 games. Just think about that for a second. Three and 14 in their last 17 games, that happens. So Jags win, Titans will get the cover. I'll give them that. The Raiders, the 5-5 five and five Raiders are heading down to Miami. Negative body clock game is the, this game will uh, kick off at 1 Eastern, which will be 10 a.m. for the Raiders' body clock time. Taking on the Dolphins 6-3. and three. Now, the Dolphins are coming back from their game um, in Germany a couple weeks ago. So they're fresh. The Raiders have gotten two wins in a row. So, hey, they're feeling good about things. Doesn't matter, though. Miami's going to get this win. They're favored by 13, all, that, all those things considered. Uh, and I think they're going to win this by more than 13. This feels like, at a minimum, two touchdowns, two four, you know, 14-point win for the Dolphins. That'll get a win and a cover for Miami. The Cowboys are going to Carolina. And I saw a nugget this afternoon that said that Carolina has been working on their silent count for the game, uh, considering there could be a lot of Cowboys fans there. Dallas is favored by 10 and a half. In Carolina, Frank Reich has taken back the play calling for the Panthers. It's kind of a mess there for the 1-8 Panthers. I think the Cowboys are going to win this game. I feel I feel like 34-17, that gives the Panthers not a cover. gives the Cowboys a cover. So we're going Dallas to win and cover that 10.5 on the road. The Bears are going to Detroit to take on the Lions. The Lions are 7-2 after last week's walk-off against the Chargers out in L.A., uh, the Bears got a Thursday night win over the Panthers, so they had the mini bye. Detroit's favored by seven and a half at home. I feel like with Justin Fields coming back for the Bears, it could get kind of exciting, but not that exciting. I feel like the Lions are going to win this thing 34-24, 38-24, something along those lines. That covers the seven and a half. Lions win and cover a big number at home. The Chargers are going to the Packers. The Packers are just 3-6. and six. Need the Packers to win some games here. And it would be nice if they'd be an AFC team. So I'm going to give the Packers a little bit of an upset. I feel like the Chargers are better. They're favored by three. I'm going to give the Packers a win. And in winning, they'll cover, uh, but I at least get three. So I'm going Packers over the Chargers in a mild upset in Lambeau. Need it to happen. If that happens, both teams will move to four and six. The Giants are taking on the Commanders in Washington where the Commanders are 8.5-point favorites. Book it right now. Tommy DeVito, 10 points, that's it. Can the Commanders get to 20? I think so. I think they can get to 20. I think that's enough. 
they'll cover the eight and a half because the Giants just can't score. Uh, it, this very easily could be 14-3, and that's a cover, and it's a win for the Commanders. So we'll give them a win and a cover against the G-Men. All right, Bucks taking on the 49ers. I know it's a 12-point spread, but the Bucks are feisty. We, we saw it in Houston. They went back home and got a win against the Titans. It looked very, very good doing it. The 49ers are feeling themselves after a win over the Jaguars. 12 is a bit much. I think the Bucks are getting inside that number. I think they'll get inside that number. I know the 49ers can throw it, and the Bucs can't stop running water, but they did a good, good job against Will Levis. Can they do that against Brock Purdy? I don't know if they can get all the way there, but I think they can cover. So let's give the 49ers a 10-point win. That's under 12. 49ers win. Bucks cover. Jets and Bills. Loser is pretty much done. Put it that way. The Bills will have Joe Brady as their offensive coordinator. They're favored by seven at home. The Jets are bringing that big, badass defense. They just can't score. They can't score touchdowns, and that is a bit of an issue. So let's go Bills to win, and let's go Bills to cover. They get one for Joe Brady. They get one for Ken Dorsey, who left. Rams take it on the Seahawks in L.A. Seattle's favored by a half point, so basically a pick I'm going with the Seahawks. They're playing pretty good football. Seahawks win, beat the Rams in L.A., even though Matt Stafford should be back for the Rams healthy enough to play. So we'll give the Seahawks a win and a cover there in L.A. The Vikings are taking on the Broncos on Sunday night football. The Vikings are playing really good football, but so is Russell Wilson. Nobody's paying attention. Russell Wilson's getting it done. Let's go Broncos to win. I don't want them to. I want the Vikings to win. But the Broncos will win and cover that two and a half, and they'll stop the Josh Dobbs story at least for a week. And on Monday night, we'll talk about that on Monday. But, man, what a game. Eagles-Chiefs? Are you kidding me? This one's awesome. We'll talk about it on Monday, but those are your picks against the spread and straight up. Coming up, D'Amico Ryans had some great stuff with us on his coach's show, so we decided to share it with you in our final segment right here on Texans All Access. We got one final segment of this TGIF edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and figured, you know what, why not finish the week with what we started the week with, and that is Mark and I with D'Amico Ryans. We had a fun time talking about the Bengals game. There's a lot of things that happened at Bengals game that were they were pretty intriguing just from a, from a football standpoint. But we also talked about the Cardinals and coach's experience with Kyler Murray. All that with D'Amico Ryans right here. Joining us now in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio, head coach D'Amico Ryans. Coach, congratulations on the latest win. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. Better after a win. <laughs> Always better after a win. And uh, Victory Monday. So tell us about Victory Monday. The guys seem to be rather excited about Victory Monday. <laughs> yeah, I guess I've been grinding the guys a little too hard here, but Victory Monday on Mondays we always come in and just we call it you can call it tell the truth Monday so we go through our film just review the game guys get with position coaches I do a team meeting players of the game they get a lift in Mm. so that's pretty much their Mondays kind of a half day but victory Mondays they don't have to come in at all Uh, Monday and Tuesdays they're off day so they essentially they get two days off this week and then we'll all start up again on Wednesday so they're always excited to get that extra day off. Not bad. And you get that victory. Five seconds left. Get the ball down at the 20-yard line. Matt Amendola's already hit two kicks. Made all his extra points. But what are you thinking at that point? Game tied 27-27. What are you thinking when he's lined up for that kick? You uh, look pretty calm. You look yeah, calm. I was calm. I felt like <laughs> we were definitely within his range. Yeah. But even we got further, right? That play by Noah yeah. getting even further than we needed to. Uh, so... I was feeling good about it, <laughs> thinking that, okay, we're, we're in range. 
he should make this for sure. Uh, Matt, a veteran kicker, has been around for a while, made a lot of kicks, big kicks in his league. So I was calm and I was hard. I was like, man, should I watch it? Should I not watch it? I don't know. But when I seen it go up and through, I was like, wow, I just can't believe we won in this in this fashion. <laughs> Well, you remember your first coach, Gary Kubiak, would not watch the big field goals, yeah. right? <laughs> right. He wouldn't wouldn't watch. So I had a Gary moment there, and I wanted to just <laughs> stare at the ground and not look. But, man, thankful that he made it. So Can, does it say anything more about next man up than having two big field goals in each of the last two wins wow. kicked by two different people, <laughs> and neither of them is Emi? Wow. That's been a story of our year, right? Yeah. <laughs> who is up, who is playing this week, right? It, it doesn't really matter, right? For me, it's that's the next man up mentality. That's the team first mentality. Like, if you step out there for the Texans, we're just expecting you to go out and perform to the best of your ability, right? And we all have each other's back no matter what happens. But it's just a true, you know, uh, team mentality. You feel that connection, that vibe, the really good vibe from our team, that they truly care about each other and they're pulling for each other's success. You coach, it felt like it was another one of those games where you got eight guys out and you talk about next man up. It's great. You got eight, eight guys out and that doesn't even include three guys that won on IR after the game last week. So guys step up. It felt like it was an organization win because everybody across, uh, across every level of that game made a play yes there were some stars Noah was huge Devin was great but it felt like everybody contributed to this win is that the way you looked at it for sure that's the way I look at it man that's what I want everybody contributed and that's what we needed we needed everyone I mm. mean um and I told our guys this on Saturday right before we got on the buses to take off for the plane I said the only re if you get on this bus Right. Right. If you get on this bus, the only reason you're getting on this bus is to go help us get a win in Cincinnati. And that's it. That's the only thing that needs to be on your mind. And my God, we needed everybody yeah. <laughs> and everybody helped. Guys made big plays, special teams, uh, great job, made defense, had some really uh, big stops, third down stops, offense. Of course, another explosive outing. Right. It's just it took everybody. And it took everybody down to the new guy who just got here on last Tuesday, <laughs> a kicker, uh, Matt Amendola, stepping up, winning the game for us. So they score on their opening drive. But after that, you really put the clamps on them for a big portion of the game until the end when they got a little hot. But what was the key to really slowing them down during the time you did? The key was really like our disguise and what we were trying to do. I think – that was the key, right? We had it. We held our disguises really well. We had good stops on first down. We won first down, which put them in a second and long. We were able to know we were playing pass and kind of tee off with the D line, and then we got in got into favorable third downs and we got stops on third down. And that's where we haven't been doing a great job over the past couple of weeks. But we got mm -hmm. stops on third down. We were able to get three and outs. I think we had like five in a row, you know, three and outs, which is we haven't done that before, but we play well together defensively. Mm -hmm. Coach, one of the things I love to do is kind of kind of peek your brain as it pertains to to pass rush. Because it felt like yesterday, and I don't know the numbers on this, this is just watching the game. It didn't feel like it didn't feel like you blitzed a lot. Right. And I started thinking, well maybe that was because those front four were winning up front that you felt good enough, hey, 
one of those guys from the front four is going to get there against our offensive line. We can win four on five. Is that kind of the way that you look at it, or do you like to send different looks just to see how they'll respond before you kind of get locked in how you want to call the rest of the game? How do you kind of look at that situation? You can't give anything away, yeah. but I'm just always curious kind of your thought process and how you go about it. Right, yeah, I always try to mix it up, right? Sometimes I try to go pressure early to see how they're handling, but I always want to see – get a feel for our front four. Yeah. Right. Because if our front four is humming, right. And that allows us to really, you know, keep seven in coverage. We can double team certain guys. We can get be exactly where we need to be in coverage and buy the D line even more time. So if our when our front four is right, and that's what I told our guys, I felt it. Right. I felt Sheldon, I felt J G, I felt Will, like they were rushing. They were getting at the burrow. They were putting them in the ground a lot. They were hitting them. And it disrupted his process. And I think that allowed us, right, to play better on defense because he was getting antsy yep. in the pocket. Yep. Yeah, and it seems like when you can get there with four, I mean, that's obviously going to help the back end guys. You had two mm-hmm. big picks in the fourth quarter. Yeah. What about that yeah, part of it? Yeah, two huge picks. And we're only able to do that because of Sheldon's uh, pressure on a quarterback. Mm-hmm. We get an overthrow, really good coverage underneath. Quarterback overthrows the ball, right? DHC gets the pick there. And then in a hurry-up type situation, they try to scramble to catch us, right, and we uh, Shaq does a good job of sinking back, staying in coverage, not jumping up, right. He stayed back in coverage, threw the ball right to him. But it's all about the pressure. When the quarterback feels that pressure early on, even if there isn't, like, enough pressure, he's mm-hmm. just going to get answered. He's going to move him. It's going to speed up his process, and that's exactly what we want. Well, you're top ten in a lot of categories, but rushing defense would be one of them. And what goes into that? What's the key to being good against the run? I know I ask you this almost every other week, but it really is interesting to me how you're able to do this week after week. Right. It, it starts with, again, our edge setters. So our defensive ends, how they set the edge of their physical Right, they contain the run and just box it in. So our guys was linebackers, nickels, right, our two D tackles. They're just our edges are set and they force the ball inside. Now those guys can they can secure the tackle. When you when you get beat in the run game is when you don't set the edge on the perimeter and the ball circles you guys get outside and Will and uh, JG have done a great job. Dylan Horton, all right, Jerry, they've done a great job of setting the edges over the past few weeks and you know, forcing teams to throw the ball. And I think we've been, you know, around some teams who didn't rely heavily on the run game. The Bengals, they they didn't run the ball as much as they have in the past. And we did mm-hmm. a good job, I think, of hitting Mixon early and swarming them, right, to take them out of the run game. On the flip side of that, Coach, it felt like you blocked the edge in the run game, Texans run game, yeah. that much better. Obviously, you know, Devin gets a touchdown off that kind of counter flip play. Um, but you blocked the edge. You got great blocks on the edge. Devin was able to turn the corner like two or three times. How much did that impact how you were able to run the ball? Because you ran it inside pretty well, but you also got the edges too. Oh, yeah, that was huge. I thought our tight ends did a really good job. The tackles did a really good job of working the edges, right? We have those double teams on the edges a lot, right? Trying to capture the defensive ends, capture safeties. And the Bengals did a really good job of mixing in safety pressure. So now – our receivers are brought into the mix, and now they have to come and try to crack safeties, get in on corners. So overall, the guys did a really good job of just great hat placement in the run game, and and Devin, again, did a great job of running the ball and finishing with the physical mindset. It's really interesting to me, Coach, the free agents you got in the offseason, and guys who are not me guys, they're we guys, like Devin Singletary, Noah Brown, 
wait for their opportunities, and then explode. I mean, Devin had his first rushing touchdown yesterday, yet he's already thrown a touchdown pass somehow. <laughs> and Noah Brown puts up historic numbers back-to-back. Yeah. What about the mindset of these guys who came in in the offseason? Yeah, they're hungry. Right? Mm-hmm. Most guys are your free agents, right? Your team doesn't sign you back, right? Whether it's that one-year deal type, man, you're hungry to show, like, hey, I, I, can, I can do it in this league, right? And I love having those guys who have that kind of I'm going to show the world who I really am type mm-hmm. of mentality. And those are the guys we got with, with Dalton, with Noah, with Devin. Like guys are just out to prove that they belong in this league and they can make big plays. Coach, I always think about you and former defensive players, how they would attack a certain current player. And I look at Devin, I think that would be a guy I wouldn't want to tackle <laughs> ever because if he gets you in a hole one-on-one, he's going to give you that dead leg and you're done. And he yeah. did that probably two or three times. <laughs> so slick with it. What makes him so tough? Is that move just so difficult for linebackers, for safeties, when they're coming up and trying to get there quickly that he's just boom, boom, he makes that one cut and he's gone? Yeah. Is that is that what is kind of simple to his success? Yeah, I think it starts with the way he started the game running the ball. Like he started, it was just downhill, yeah. just – not running through guys, and now you come up and you're trying to prep for that where he's now he hits you with a – I call it a little R2 button on Matt, yeah, yeah. a little juke move. Yeah. He hits you with the juke move, and you're thinking he's going to try to run you over, and then it's just that little move right there that sticks you and you're stuck in the ground or I call it you're on skates. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're, right. you're falling over. It was It's really impressive, and it's just instinctual by him of when and where you need to do that move. Yeah. All right, we now begin the C.J. Stroud portion of the program, Coach. Uh, He's so good that his first interception ends up being a first down for himself. His second interception just sets up the dramatics for another down-the-field, last-second victory. But what about the way he played and the way he shook off the pick, most importantly? Yeah, it's, uh, again, impressive. I mean, what what I've seen in this game is where we asked C.J. to improve is just stepping up in the pocket. Right, he had, had for the past couple of weeks. He's been moving back in the pocket, going backwards, and we just asked him to step up, right? And he did that, made some plays, actually scored a, a rushing touchdown just by stepping up in the pocket. Mm-hmm. So to see that improvement week after week, that's what you want to see, right? Then the the interception, right? Don't want to throw the interception at, at that spot. Uh, bad timing, but what an effort by Tank to get the guy yes. down to give us a chance. <laughs> and CJ and Tank, they come to me on the side like. We got the ball back. They're like, Coach, we got you. <laughs> Don't worry, Coach. Don't worry. We got you. It's like, all right, guys, let's see it. Yeah. And um, But him, for him to have that resolve, like that one bad play didn't affect him. Like he doesn't go He doesn't go in the tank after a bad play. And that's what you – you have to have that kind of next play mentality as a quarterback because if bad things happen, man, we have a lot of ball left. And for him to go out and have that confidence that he knew – he was going to make plays, right, to help us win that game. All right, the coach, we got you, though. I want to get back to that for a moment because I think it was the preseason game, maybe against Miami or something, where you said, hey, I want everybody together on the sideline. I want everybody together as a group into the game. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they said that reminds me of that. That's the togetherness you're looking for. And whether or not they came through or not, at least they feel that (laughs) way and they're going to act like it. No doubt. They, I mean, that was the, I think the preseason, that was after our Miami game. It wasn't good enough. We came back the Saints game and you saw like, our team, you saw mm-hmm. the energy, you saw a really good vibe from our sideline. And it was the same, like guys just really connected. Mm-hmm. And that's what I feel like Tank, CJ, like they feel that true connection 
with the entire team, like, hey, man, we got this. We know we're going to make plays. I feel one of the things, Coach, when we talk about CJ kind of maybe doesn't get mentioned as, as such is the offensive line. And, okay, the offensive line did great in protection. Okay, but what really did they do? Okay, well, they blocked their guys, and that's fine. But one of the things that stood out, going back and watching the game, there were a couple of blitzes that the Bengals brought where they were they bring somebody in a gap, they bring a guy from depth, they, and it looked like there's crisscrossing, there's you know cross dogs going on, and yet guys just picked it up, and CJ had time to throw, and so I feel like the offensive line protection was really good in picking up whatever pressure they were bringing to a point where it felt like uh, we can't pressure them, so let's just right. send four. Uh, the second half, but the offensive line protection, how did you see it? How did you feel that group was able to protect CJ yesterday? That's always key, right? When CJ's a, when we're talking about CJ, we're only talking about him because of the protection Mm. and the time that he has. And not only the offensive line, but also the backs having to step up and block the tight ends. Like everybody is involved in the protection. And those guys, again, did another great job, right? For the Bengals, man, they threw every pressure in the book at us. Yep. Right. They ran zero pressure on first down. They were running cross dogs in the middle. Every pressure you can think right. of, nickel, safety, they had it. Right. And I think why did they do that? I look to it as like that just shows the respect that they have for our quarterback right. and trying to confuse him, give him as many different looks as possible, and for him to know his answers versus the zero pressure and speed it up and make them pay. Like it's just really cool to see that growth and improvement, to see how much – uh, respect other teams have right. for him to even try to run that much pressure at him. And our O-line, the way they picked it up, awesome job by them. Yeah. I, I know you're vaguely familiar with Arizona having faced them so <laughs> many times with the 49ers organization, but what are we seeing here on Sunday, Coach? Because this is Kyler Murray, Connor. This is a different team than they were a few weeks ago. Brand new team. The record doesn't really mean anything. Right, Kyle, the Kyler Murray show. <laughs> guys got to tighten their shoelaces up a little yeah. tighter. He's going to be running around a little longer. Mm-hmm. All right, this week, one thing I always remember about Kyler is you got to cover him twice. Right, because it's, if it's not there on his first hits, like he's going to start to move around. And now you have to really what we call plaster on defense yeah. where you really have to man the closest guy in your zone and stay with him. So our D-line is going to have to rush a little bit longer than they've done in, in past weeks because Kyler is just he's, he's phenomenal at moving around in the pocket. And then you add Connor in the mix. You talk about a physical back who runs downhill, powerful back. It's going to take everybody swarming him to get after him as well. So, Coach, what's for your linebackers? What's a big teaching point? You talk about defensive line. You got to rush a little bit longer. You got to keep going. If you get your hands on them, you got a shot to bring them down. DBs, you plaster those receivers, and then you're on them. What's your kind of key for the linebackers? Because I would imagine with Connor and with Kyler, it's kind of not two different ball games, <laughs> but it's kind of two different approaches. How about your linebackers and facing those two? Yeah, definitely two different approaches when it comes to the linebackers. First, in a run game, you got they have to handle Connor when it comes to the run game, and they have to be physical. It won't be one guy bringing them down. So you have to put body on body, right, and really wrap him up. Yep. That's going to be the key for those guys. And then when it comes to Kyler, they're going to be asked to be in coverage as well. So they have a little bit of that where they have to plaster like there are DBs, yep. and then they're also going to be asked to rush him where they have to rush a little bit longer right. like the like the D-line. So they have a little mix of both. Yeah. What can you tell us about how different he might be in this particular offense because you saw him in another offense? It's still him, but it's a new system. Yeah, it's still him. I think for Kyler, he does certain things well that play callers have to just – you have to tailor to what he does well. Mm-hmm. So there will be, of course, 
design quarterback runs. Mm-hmm. He really loves the draw plays. So I know they have a quarterback draw in there, right? RPO game. That's where Kyler thrives. You still watch a lot of the Dobbs stuff, though, that they were running, right? Yeah, we'll watch everything that they've done, try to pick up on any any yeah. tendencies we yeah. can get. <laughs> but uh, most of it is going to be you know tailored to Kyler. I know the answer to this, but I would like for you to expand on it if you could, Coach, playing back at home. Now you got three weeks in a row. We talked about that before. you got three weeks in a row at home. But coming off the last two wins and coming back home, Kyler's in only his second start. How important does the crowd become for you guys? I know it makes communication tough for you guys at times, <laughs> but I would imagine you'd love having it rather than not. Right. I mean, coming back home is uh, after you know two big wins, and I still remember that Tampa Bay game towards the end of that game, how loud our stadium was and how it affected the quarterback and their offense. They had to burn timeouts. Right, they caused them a penalty. Right, false start. Like our fans can truly impact this game. Right, in offense, as the Cardinals, they're going to come in. They try to communicate at the line of scrimmage. We need our fans to impact yep. that. We need you guys to be as loud as possible. Right, we need you guys to show up. Right, and really make it chaotic for them yep. when they are on offense. And you're going to make it difficult for us on defense, but that's okay. Yep. <laughs> we'll find a way to communicate. But man, we wanted you guys as loud as possible. It says so much about your team, the way you were able to execute down the stretch in these last two games. And I'm looking around the league and seeing a lot of teams that didn't necessarily in the last couple of weeks or yesterday. So tell us how much of those other games, because I know you show the players situations that come up from other games, but how much of those other games do you like to show them? Say, hey, look what Team X did against Team Y, and let's not do that, or let's try to do this, or whatever the case may be. I love showing those clips. It's uh because there's teaching moments and things that we can learn from that where we don't want to put ourselves in a in a bad spot. If we can learn from other team mistakes, we want to do that. So Friday meeting, we had a really, we had a really good meeting on a two minute drive where a team defensively they just let the offense march down just because of defensive penalties, and then the offensive team got pushed back because of bad decisions and offensive penalties. And it was just a teaching moment there to like. When we go and we we are in these crunch time moments, two-minute situations, like let's just not hurt ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. If we don't hurt ourselves, we have a chance. And that was the teaching moment on this past Friday. And, of course, we have another big two-minute drive there, and we did a great job of just methodically moving down the field without – hurting ourselves at all. All right. Amogee Bank Ask Coach Question of the Week. Here it is. It's from uh, Mark Vandermeer in Sugarland, Texas. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, youth league coaching, because I'm coaching my kids' basketball team, 10-year-old awesome. kids, Coach. So what advice would you have for youth league coaches here, dealing with little kids, trying to get them to play well, but still have fun and learn that kind of thing? Patience. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all about having fun, for sure. My kids just started basketball as well. Mm-hmm. It's it's all about them just having fun and making sure the kids are just learn, you know, a couple fundamentals of the game. But the most important thing I think is kids just having fun. Having started my coaching career with middle schoolers from the age of uh, like 12 to 14, the absolute key is to have fun. Sometimes I took it a little too serious, but you got to have fun. You got to find ways to make the game fun. You got to make it competitive and you got to have fun. Now, at the NFL level, you still got to make it fun. You still have to make it fun in some way, shape, or form, but uh, a little different, um, you know, fun, as I put in air quotes. Winning is fun. And so winning on Sunday is a massively important deal for the Texans. Sitting at 5-4 and four, could get to 6-4 and four with a win. We know what that sets up the following week with the Jags, but we're not worried about that. We're worried about slowing down Kyler Murray and the Cardinals at NRG Stadium. 
as they did in 2017, the last time the Texans beat the Cardinals. Have never beaten Kyler Murray, but they've only played him once. So hopefully that will happen on Sunday. A big thanks to everybody who participated in the show. Mark Vandermeer, D'Amico Ryans, Blake Cashman, Drew Doherty, Jalen Petrie, Devin Singletary, Ed Smith of the Believe Network, Matt Burt, defensive coordinator. You guys for listening. We will see you on Sunday. Kickoff is at noon. You've got the pregame show with Sean and Seth on Sports Radio 610 starting at 9. you got the postgame happening right after we go off the air. And then you got the game at noon with Mark, Andre, and myself. Let's go enjoy this one. Get in there. Be loud. Get a dub for the Texans. That would be awesome to get the 6-4 and four and a win over the Cardinals. And it would give the Texans a winning record over the NFC opponents for the first time in – I can't even do the math. I can't even go back that far. It's been that long. But a win over the Cardinals would make them 3-2 and two, uh, against NFC teams, which would be absolutely fantastic. So, appreciate you guys listening. We'll see you Sunday. And as always, go Texans.